الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل وأشهد أن محمدًا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إن شاء الله تعالى today we're going to start it's the first uh, session uh, in the explanation of a famous hadith known as Hadith ibn Abbas. Uh, it's an advice that the Prophet gave to Abdullah ibn Abbas. Inshallah ta'ala, we're going to take the commentary that was placed on the book from Ibn Rajab's explanation on it. Ibn Rajab, he explained this hadith in two places. The first place he explained it in is his kitab, Jami' Ulum wal Hikam. It's a 50 hadith, 42 of it was from Imam al-Nawawi, and then Ibn Rajab added 8 hadiths, made it 50, and then he explained those 50 hadiths, Ibn Rajab, al-Hanbali, rahimahullah. So, and then it, the second explanation, he explained it in a book which he called it Nurul Iqtibas. He specified a book for the hadith because he felt it's so important for him to talk about it that he separated and he wrote a... Actually, there's a third place where he explains the hadith again. But we don't have it. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali had an explanation on Jami' al-Tirmidhi. And it is mafqood, it's lost. It's from the works that are lost that we don't have. In there, he also explained it. How do we know he explained it? He himself mentions that in his sharah of the hadith. That he said, I explained it in my sharah of Jami' al-Tirmidhi. And Jami' al-Tirmidhi, the sharah of Ibn Rajab, all of it got lost except a small portions of it. So for example, the section of the ilal, we have the sharah for it. We also have a small part of libas which was published recently, that they found, but the rest of the book is, is, is lost. Okay? Or we don't have it so, uh, yet. The reason we chose this hadith is, you, as you always see, what it contains, the beauty and the gems that are in it, is why we selected and we chose it. Uh, my son Ibrahim is going to read the hadith for us. And when he reads the hadith, we will, inshallah ta'ala, go through the benefits that are in it. Again, I am not going to use the sharah of Ibn Rajab word for word. But I'm just going to take, because we're meant to finish it all today. Naam Ibrahim. Did Ibrahim, does he, is he going to get given a microphone or is it without a microphone? Hey, this fadl. Fadl, akhi. Fadl. As you can see, the author, Rahimullah, he started the Basmala, so he said, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, iqtida'an bi kitab azza wa jalla. The reason why he started his book with the Basmala, why? 
He's following the book of Allah. If you open the Quran, what do you see? What is the first thing that you would have to read? The Basmala, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, right? So the Shaykh is following Allah Azza wa Jalla. The Prophet whenever he would send letters to the rulers, he would write Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Min Muhammad Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama ilahirikla adhimir room aslim taslam and then and that hadith is found in where? In Sahih al-Bukhari. So the Prophet wrote Bismillahi Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. So he's following the Prophet in what he used to do. As for the hadith that says, That hadith is not sahih. And Shaykh Muhammad Nasiruddin al-Albani, in his kitab, Irwa al-Ghalid, the first hadith he grades, he does takhrij of, is this hadith. He weakens it. Even that though Al-Imam Al-Nawawi authenticates it. And Ibn Salah authenticates it. Shaykh Nasir rahimahullah weakens it. The second thing that the author has done here is that he is, after he said Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, he said Alhamdulillah. Why is he doing that? Again, he's following the book of Allah. Because when you open the Quran, the first thing that you read after the basmala is the what? Surah Al-Fatiha, which is Alhamdulillahi, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Now, just as a benefit, when you are given a khutbah, you should not start with the basmala. You should start with the hamdalah. But if you're writing, you should start with the basmala. And you should generally leave the hamdala when it comes to writing. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ, he would write the basmala only. Are we all together? Also, Imam al-Bukhari, in his sahih, he didn't write the hamdala. What did he write? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Babu bad il-wahi. And then Hadathan al Humaydi Abdullah ibn Zubair, and then he mentioned the hadith in the Malamalu bin Niyat. Now, Now this hadith, the author rahimahullah, he said kharrajahu Ahmed. And Ahmed here is Ahmed ibn Hanbal. And he brought it, ibn Rajab, 
من طريقي through the chain of who who can inshallah with the pain paying attention through what chain did he bring it hey Abu Salah Hanash al-San'aniyu the hadith of is only authentic through that chain all the other riwayat are weak that are not through Hanash al-San'ani and there are two people three people who narrated it through the tariqah of Hanash al-San'ani one Ahmed ibn Hanbal fi musnadihi two Al-Ibam al-Tirmidhiyu fi jami'i three Abd ibn Humayt and Ibn Salah, he attributes it to Abd ibn Humayt. Al-Imam al-Nawi in Arba'un al-Nawiyya attributes it to Tirmidhi. And Ibn Rajab here attributes it to who? Ahmad ibn Hanbal. وأصحهم, and the most authentic one from all of them is who? The one that is collected in Jami'a Tirmidhi. It is the most authentic. And the scholars that said that it's the most authentic is Ibn Manda rahimahullah. He said it's the most authentic. And Ibn Rajab. And also who? Ibn Rajab al-Hanbaliyu rahimahullah. Some scholars have narrated this advice from other companions rather than Ibn Abbas. Like Sahal ibn Sa'ad al-Sa'idiyu. They said that this is an advice the Prophet gave to Sahal ibn Sa'ad al-Sa'idi. An advice that the Prophet gave to Ali ibn Abi Talibin. An advice that was given to other companions. فَلَمْ مِنْهُمْ There's not any of those chains which are authentic. The only Sahabi we have authentically that this advice was given to is who? Abdullah ibn Abbas. That's the most authentic. Another point I want to mention that this hadith Ibn al-Jawzi he said in his kitab Sayyidul Khatir he said tadabbartu hadha al-hadith I pondered and I contemplated on this hadith yani I gave it my heart and mind tadabbartu hadha al-hadith yani I thought about it wakittu atish my mind was about to blow what I got from this hadith and then he went on to say in Fawa min al-jahli sadness is those who are ignorant of the meaning of this hadith. Sadness, he said, that which brings distress and discomfort to the heart is to know there are people who will not understand this hadith. Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah is saying. I thought of this hadith. I looked at the meaning of what the Prophet was saying to Ibn Abbas. My mind was about to blow. He said, Sadness is to know there are people who wouldn't know the meaning in this hadith. And what's fascinating and really profound and mind boggling is to know that the Prophet. He gave this advice to Ibn Abbas who was only 13 years of age. Another group of scholars believe 
it can't be 13. Ibn Abbas, when the Prophet died, he was 13. So the Prophet gave it to him before that. Are we all together? That's, that's the hadith of Imam Al-Tirmidhi that we mentioned. Ya ghulam inni u'alimuka kalimat ihfadillah yahfadka. This one is the best and the most authentic. Now I want you to all remember this, inshaAllah ta'ala. When it comes to those who narrated from the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, and they are called al-mukthiroon al-sab'ah min al-sahaba. From the companions, there are seven who were the most narrators of hadith from the companions. Seven. Are we all together? Seven of them are the most. Well, the poet, he said, Al-Muktiruna fi riwayatil khubar min al-sahabatil akarimil ghurar Abu Hurayrata Write that down. Abu Hurayrata Yalihi ibn Umar Abu Hurayrata Yalihi Who's after Ibn Umar in number? You have to write the order. Abu Hurayrata Yalih ibn Umar. Ibn Umar. Abdullah ibn Umar. Fa'anasun. Anas. Fazawjatun nabiyyil. Fazawjatun nabiyyil. The wife of the Prophet alayhi sallallahu alayhi wa Thumma ibn Abbasin. And then Abdullah ibn Abbas. ثم ابن عباس يليه جابر أن الجابر وبعده and after him is أبو سعيد الخدري who أبو سعيد الخدري what number did ابن عباس fall into which number do we have ابن عباس number five right عبد الله بن عباس is number five Write this down. Ibn Abbas has narrated from the Prophet 1,696 hadiths. How many narrations do you have? 1,696 hadiths. Ibn Abbas, he narrated from the Prophet And this is one of the hadiths. Like in Abu Huraira, he's higher. Abu Huraira is 5,374. How much is Abu Huraira? 5,000. 374 is Abu Huraira and Abdullah ibn Abbas is in the middle. Are we all together? And Abu Huraira was only with the messenger for how many years? Four years. Abu Huraira was only a Muslim for four years after the Prophet died. Are we all together? 
Abu Hurairah took Islam ala yadi Tufayl ibn Amr and Dawsi. Abu Hurairah was a Yemeni man. Four years was when he was with the Prophet والسلام, the Prophet passed away. But those four years, he said, I was the Prophet's shadow. Everything I wrote. Now there's a question. Who heard from the Prophet the most? Who heard the most narrations from the Prophet Uh-huh. No. It's actually Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As. Abdullah ibn Amr al-As narrated, heard from the Prophet the most, who spent the most taken from the Prophet, but he didn't narrate the most to the people. Abu Huraira, on the other hand, he sat down to tell the people the narrations of the Prophet. Abdullah ibn Abbas, al-Imam al-Dhahabi, he says, غَلَبَهُ الْعِبَادَةِ Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, when he became older, he got taken by ibadah. He became a abid, a worshipper. So he used to be in the masjid and pray, and he wouldn't narrate a lot of hadiths. So this hadith, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said that the Prophet sallallahu radif and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ma ma'ana radif? Who knows what the word radif means? Yeah? It means, I, mean, I was on a riding beast, and the Prophet was, at the, uh, Abdullah, I was on the back of the Prophet. Brothers, listen to this benefit. The Prophet is the leader. And leaders, you can't sit on the same riding beast as them. Huh? Unless you're security, unless you're... And you can't be with them like that. Especially at that time. Like in Nabi Muhammad, min tawadu'ihi, he would sit with the companions, he would be with them, he would sit on the floor. When the people came to Medina, and they wanted to give the Prophet sallallahu the bay'ah, as Ibn Kathir mentions, the people didn't know who the Prophet was when they came. When they walked, because he was sitting with the companions, they didn't know who he was. And the narration mentions when the Dhuhr prayer came, and then Abu Bakr stood up and he took his cloak and he covered the Prophet's head. That's when some people realized, oh, that's the Prophet. But before that, he was, a, he was like the, he was with the rest of the people. Alayhi salatu Which allowed him to have the most impact in the lives of the companions. Because he suffered with them. He went through everything with them. Sallallahu. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is it's fascinating. And don't you think Abdullah ibn Abbas is only telling you Kuntu Radif and Nabi because of side point. There's a reason why he's telling you he's a Radif. Meaning... I was close with the Prophet. We were on the same riding beast. Another fa'ida that Ibn al-Qayyim took from Kuntu Radif al-Nabi is that it is permissible for two people to go on a riding beast. Two people are allowed to mount a riding beast and that is not oppression towards that animal. And we all together. Now let's take the benefits of in the hadith now inshallah ta'ala. The first sentence, everyone, first sentence. Go to the eighth page of the PDF that you have. This is profound. This statement is really powerful. The Prophet says, 
Ihfadillaha safeguard Allah and He will safeguard you. What does that mean? We translated it, but we haven't explained it. Ihfadillaha means, write this down, number one. Ihfad Hudud Allah. Safeguard the limits of Allah. Number one. Number one, the limits of Allah. Number two, Ihfad Hukuk Allah. Safeguard Allah's rights. Number two. Number three, Ihfad Awamirahu. Safeguard Allah's commandments. And the fourth is Ihfad Nawahiyahu. Safeguard the prohibitions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many things did we say that Ihfadillah means? Four things. All of them Ibn Rajab says it. It's all taken from the Sharah Ibn Rajab. The first one is what? Remember this. Because later we're going to take Ihfadillah, Yahfadka. That's the part we want, right? We want Allah to safeguard us, right? And take care of us. But before that, Allah says, Ihfadillah, Yahfadka comes next. So we have to first of all understand Ihfadillah, what it means. Ihfadillah means four things, Ibn Rajab says. Number one, it means what? Hududallah. The boundaries that you are set, you stay within those boundaries and you do not go out of those boundaries. Are we all together? The Prophet said in the hadith, Inna al-halala bayyinun wa inna al-haram, hadith Umar ibn Bashir, right? Inna al-halala bayyinun wa inna al-harama bayyinun wa baynahuma umurun mushtabihat la ya'alamuhunna kathirun min al-nas faman ittaqa al-shubahati faqad istabra'a lidini wa irdi wa man waqa'a fi al-shubuhati waqa'a fi al-harami karra'i yar'a hawla al-hima yushiku an yarta'a fi ala wa inna likulli malikin hima ala wa inna hima allahi maharimu ala wa inna fi al-jasad mudgha idha salahat صلح الجسد كله وإذا فسدت فسد الجسد كله ألا وهي القلب أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام In this hadith the Prophet is telling us Allah He has boundaries that He has set تلك حدود الله These are the what? These are the boundaries of Allah Allah says in an, in an, in an ayah in the Quran and the author, Rahimallah, he brings it here for, for you. وَالْحَافِظُونَ لِحُدُودِ اللَّهِ And those who safeguard the what? The boundaries of Allah. Brothers, you are a slave. I'm a slave. We have a master. The master tells the slave where the slave can go or where he can't go. Who is our, who, who's our master? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are his slaves. The Prophet said, Al-Mu'minu anif The believer is like a camel that there is a rope in his nose. He goes the direction where that rope takes him. The hadith is fascinating because it doesn't say that the believer is like a camel that is held from the neck. Because if someone puts a rope on your neck, you can hold back, you can pull back. But if a person puts a rope in your nose, your nose is very delicate. 
So what, when the person pulls the rope, you come forward, right? And that's how the believer is to Allah's commandments. When Allah tells him, come forward, he comes running forward to Allah Taala. So what does Ihfadillah number one mean? Ihfad, Hududullah. Safeguard the limits of Allah Taala. So we already mentioned that one. There's another hadith the Prophet said, Inna Allah Allah has commanded and made some matters obligatory unto you. Do not forsake those things Allah has prescribed and made obligatory on you. So you have to remember that. حرمات, and there are things he made haram from you. Don't go and dwell in those things that he has prohibited you from. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah set boundaries. Don't go outside those boundaries. Ihfadillaha means stay within those boundaries. Okay. Allah Ta'ala tells us, Hafiz means what? This is Surah Tuqaf. Allah talked about Jannah and the way Jannah looks like and the way Jannah is. And then Allah says, This The ayah is saying, this place, this Jannah, is being made ready everyone who turns back to Allah all the time. He does something wrong, he says, Oh Allah, I did a mistake, I did a mistake, I shouldn't have done this. Hafiz, Ihfadillah. He protects the boundary set by Allah. Jannah is prepared for that person. Man Rahmana, the one who fears Allah. Man Rahmana bil He is fears Allah in the dark. And he comes with a, a good heart, a heart that keeps running to his Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, it means the second one. What was the second meaning I said? Ihfadillah means? Yeah? Allah has rights. The rights of Allah wa ta'ala that you make sure that you safeguard those rights that He has placed upon you. The biggest haq Allah has on you is a tawheed. His oneness. Not to associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The biggest haq, the greatest haq is tawheed. You single Allah in worship. You do not associate partners with Him. La malakun muqarrabun wa la nabiyun mursal. You do not associate partners with Allah, an angel or a messenger. Nothing. Sah? The Prophet ﷺ, he told in the hadith to the Sahabi, the noble companion, he said, Shall I not tell you, Haqqullahi ala al-abid wa haqqul abid ala Allah. The rights of Allah upon the creation and the rights of the creation upon Allah. That's the right of Allah. 
ضد حديث معصيلات ولذلك العلامة شيخ الإسلام محمد بن عبد الوهاب هيس كتاب كتاب التوحيد what did he call it he said كتاب التوحيد الذي هو حق الله على العبيد that's the full name of the book توحيد is the greatest right ولذلك when Allah took us from the from the back of Adam عليه السلام وإذ أخذ ربك من بني آدم من ذورهم وأشهدهم على أنفسهم ألست بربكم قالوا بلى شهدنا أن تقول يوم القيامة إن كنا عن هذا غافلين أو تقول إنما أشرك آباؤنا من قبل كنا به ذرية من بعد أفتهلكنا بما فعلنا The ayat is the rights that Allah brought you out of Adam's back and he said ألست بربكم Am I not your Lord The right here is توحيد So the greatest rights that you can fulfill is the tawheed. Also, is the salah. The second haq, the second greatest rights that Allah has on you is that you worship Him by praying. That's what Allah said in the Quran, حافظوا على salati Safeguard the prayer. صح? وَالصَّلَاةِ الْوُسْطَى وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ And there's many views regarding Salatul Wusta. Al-Qawlul Rajih is that it is Salatul Asr. Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِصَلَاتِهِمْ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ And those who safeguard their what? Their prayers. They look after their prayers. The Prophet said in a hadith, مَنْ حَافَظَ عَلَيْهَا Anyone who makes sure that they pray their salah. كان له عند الله عهد. He has a covenant with his Lord, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and you dخله الجنة. That Allah will place you into Jannah. In another hadith, the Prophet said, "من حافظ عليها أما من حافظ عليهن كان له نورا وبرهانا ونجاة يوم القيامة." That person will have light proof the day of judgment. The Prophet even said, صلى الله عليه وسلم. The wudu la yuhafidhu ala al-wudu illa mu'min. The only one who safeguards his wudu is the believer. Yeah, there's ishkal on this hadith. Some of the scholars, they weakened it because of Abu Thawban in Lam Yasma'ah. Uh, sorry, uh, Abil Ja'ad didn't hear from Abu Thawban dispute and the authentication of the hadith. Lakin, some scholars authenticated it. Like Sheikh Muhammad Nasir al-Din al-Albani and Ibn Abdul Barr in his Kitab al-Tamheed. And Imam Malik narrated it is Muwatta Balagan. These are the Ihfadillah. Also, what does it mean, brothers, Ihfadillah? It means to protect the prohibitions that Allah prohibited from you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ Those who safeguard, look at every verse I'm reading. I'm using the word حفظ. صح? حافظوا على الصلاة والصلاة الوسطى وقوموا لله قانتين. والذين هم على صلاتهم يحافظون. يعني the word حفظ is what's used. والذين هم لفروجهم حافظون. إلا على أزواجهم أو ما ملكت أيمانهم فإنهم غير ملومين. فمن ابتغى وراء ذلك فأولئك هم العاد. They safeguard their private parts. Also protecting what? Protecting what you eat. The Prophet ﷺ, he said to the Sahabas, Istahyu min Allahi haqqa al-haya. 
the Sahaba, they said, Ya Rasulullah, inna nastahi min Allah. O Messenger of Allah, we are shy of Allah. The Prophet then said, Man istahiya min Allah haqqal haya, falyahfadhi al-ra'sa wa ma hawa. Falyahfadhi al-ra'sa wa ma wa'a. Protect your ears and everything on it. فَلْيَحْفَظِ الرَّأْسَ Protect your what? Your head and everything on it, your eyes. وَقُلْ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَغُضُّوا مِنْ أَبَصَارِهِمْ وَيَحْفَظُوا فُرُوجَهُمْ Your eyes, your ears, your mouth. وَالْبَطْنَ And your stomach and everything you put into it. فَلْيَحْفَظِ الْبَطْنَ The Prophet said, protect your stomach and everything you put it. Then he said, protect your private parts. The Prophet said, فَمَنْ فَعَلَ ذَلِكَ فَقَدْ اِسْتَعْيَا مِنَ اللَّهِ حَقَّ الْحَيَاءِ And anyone who does that, he is shy of Allah, that the way Allah deserves to be shy of. So this shows us the importance of all of those things that we have to do. When you hear Ihfadillaha, you remember it means Ihfad Hudud Allah. Ihfad Hukuk Allah. Ihfad Awamir Allah. Ihfad Nawahiyahu. When you come with those four, in the next section after the Salah, we're going to take what is it, what is, what is it that Allah is going to do for you. You, you took hudud, you protected it. You protected your hukuk uh, and the awamir and the nawahi. What is Allah going to do for you? We're going to take that after the salah. Barakallahu um, feekum. Again, just a quick reminder. Please, please, everyone, separate. Social distancing is still required. Your faces must all be covered other than mine. Please. Do not be close to each other. We want to, inshallah ta'ala, observe the masjid and not be uh, any uh, troublesome towards them, inshallah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum. So the author, rahimahullah, he said, Ihfadillaha yahfadka. Hey, who could remind us what he meant by Ihfadillaha? Yeah. Tabbat. Number one, Ihfad Hudud Allah. Who can tell us the second? Hey, Ibrahim. Ihfad Hukuk Allah. Jameel. Hey, Abu Saleh. Ihfad Awamir Allah. Ihfad Awamir Allah. Ihfad Awamir Allah. Hey, Uzair. And the fourth one is Ihfad Muharramat. Um, uh, the nawahi of Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala those four we said it means ihfadillah safeguard Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala means those four right and the last one which is safeguard yourself from what Allah prohibited we mentioned from it is zina the prophet said in the hadith man yam man yadmanu li ma bayna لَحْيَيْهِ وَمَا بَيْنَ فَخِذَيْهِ أَضْبَنُ لَهُ Who is going to give me a promise that they will protect 
what is between their two lips and that which is between their two thighs and I will promise them Jannah Sah? and this hadith shows that the person who safeguards that which is between his two lips meaning those who in the sam'a wal basara wal fu'ada you will be asked about your eyes, your listening, your heart. You will be asked about That the word that you utter is all written. So the person he does those four. Hafidha, hudud Allah. Wa hafidha, huquq Allah. Wa hafidha, awamirahu. Wa nawahiyahu. What are they going to receive? Yahfadka. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will safeguard you. Now, what does that mean? That needs sharah. Once you brothers take this, internalize it, you will realize that everything that's happening to you in your life, good or bad, is because of you not coming with what? Ihfadillah. And that's why you're not receiving Ihfadka. Does that make sense? Look what Allah will do. By the way, this is very common in the Quran that Allah says, You do this and I'll do this. It's common that Allah says, You do this and I will do this. In the Quran, this is very common. For the Quruni, this is called The reward is in accordance to what you do. So, is like It's like those verses. Allah saying, do this and I'll do this for you. And remember this. This promise of Allah will only be given to you. It's stipulated something. Is when you do what he told you to do first. Then when that's what he's going to do for you. Allah is going to do for you. Yahfadka. Write this down. Allah is going to protect you in two ways. Yahfadka means Allah will safeguard you. And he will safeguard you in two ways. The first thing, Your worldly affairs will be taken care of. Your worldly affairs, it will be taken care of. And what's your worldly affairs? A. Badaluhu, your body, your health. Corona can come, it can go. Don't worry, Allah will take care of you. Also, في مصالحك الدنيوي It's also in there is what? أولادك, your children 
Your worldly is your children. Allah will take care of your children. And Allah will take care of your wealth. This is the three main things for every living human being. Yourself and your health, your children, and your wealth. Those are the three when you say dunya. For every person, that's the dunya. Your health, your wealth, and your children. All three of them will be taken care of. And this goes under the category of worldly, worldly benefit. Allah will take care. We'll see the evidence for it. The second thing Allah will take care of for you, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is your religion. And that's the most important. The second is Allah will take care of your deen. And we'll talk about that, inshallah ta'ala. Let's start with the first one. Let's take examples. All of this which I say, not one thing I know of that I am bringing from outside. Everything is in this book. And that's why I encourage you. What I'm saying, what I've left out, what I've left out is more. So read this book yourself. Go over it. There's so much gems in it. The kitab, the PDF, if you don't have it, ask for Kalima to give it to you, inshallah ta'ala. Download it. You have the Arabic on one side and the translation on the other side. So you can read both, inshallah ta'ala. Let's go through the first one, which is Allah taking care of your health, your wealth, and your children, your worldly affairs. Allah says in the Quran, from in front of them and behind them, Allah has designated, Allah has selected and chosen for you an angel that takes care of you. That right in front of you, behind you, you're protected. People are planning against you, they want to do something to you, they want to harm you. Allah is taking care of you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, الله, He said it is what? They are angels. They are looking after you because Allah commanded them. Brothers, listen to this. These are angels that don't disobey Allah. They were sent from high above. And you, you they were told to look after you. Why? Because he came with what? You have some... To Allah, you are an important individual. And you deserve to be taken care of. Allah sent an angel for you. That angel will take care of you. From in front of you, from behind you, from all sides. You'll be taken care of. Abdullah Abbas even explained, Lakin, when the Qadr is written, and what was destined for you is written, of course, the angel has to move out of the way. And the qadr of Allah cannot be stopped by anybody. But other than that, you're taken care of. Ali ibn Abi Talib al-Qur'i said, Inna ma'a kulli rajul, every person, there is what? Malakaini yahfadhanihi. There are two angels with him to protect him. Mimma lam yuqaddar. As long as it's not something that's destined for you. If it's destined for you, it's written for you, it will happen. That no one can stop. But other than that, the angels are there to take care of you. فَإِنْ جَاءَ الْقَدَرِ When the Qadr comes, Ali said, خَلَّيَا بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهُ They move out of the way for the Qadr to come and, and take its place. لَهُ مُعَقِبَاتُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ 
Listen to this, brothers. This story is mentioned by Ibn Rajab. It's there. كان أبو طيب الطبري أبو طيب الطبري was a man who passed 108 like he passed 100 he was 100 and something yeah this ummah it's really hard to find people who passed the age of 70 right the prophet said أعمار أمتي ما بين الستين وسبعين وقليل من يجوز ذلك that's what the prophet said صح صلوات الله وسلامون عليه Anyone who goes past 70 in Islam, we know this is umur. That's an old age now. That person see now. Before that, it's alright. Abu Tib al Tabari, he reached a hundred. And one day he jumped from his riding beast. His horse, riding beast. He jumped from it. Some of the narrations mentioned, Ibn Rajah mentioned another version where he jumped from a boat. Top of a boat, he jumped from it. His students, they saw him and they said, Shaykh, you're a hundred years of age. You were jumping from the boat. Are you not worried that you'll fracture your bone? you hurt yourself. You'll do something to yourself. He responded and he said, When we were young, we protected our body from haram. Now that we're old, Allah will take care of it for us. When we were young, we stayed away from haram. We came with ihfadillah. And now that we're old, Allah is going to take care of it for us. We safeguarded our body from haram. We didn't do haram with it. ولذلك Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, he mentioned anyone who has taken care of their body from haram, when they grow old, those body parts, Allah will take care of it for them. The people who memorize a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu or Al-Quran, and they memorize the Quran, and they put that in their heads, they don't, use, they don't lose their brains. Allah keeps their brains sharp. The people who protected their body parts from consuming haram, Allah takes care of their body parts. From these ill illnesses, Allah takes care of them, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another story Ibn Raja mentions. Al-Junaid, Al-Junaid, he is from the early Zuhad. Remember this. The early Zuhad are the early aesthetic individuals. Sulaiman al-Darani, al-Junaid, and the likes of these people, and Ibrahim ibn Adham, you'll see them sometimes, but the Sufis will also quote them as well. Because the Sufis say they're, they're one of us. Sah? Al-Junaid, you can hear a lot by them. They quote him a lot, right? Ibrahim ibn Adham, they quote him a lot. Sulaiman al-Darani, they quote him a lot. Like in these people, they were the early... They were known to be aesthetic like him, Zuhad. They were aesthetic individuals, meaning the dunya, they disconnected themselves from the dunya and they lived a very simple life. And of course, then after that, the phase of these type of people changed and they started to adopt practices that were far from Islam. Are we all together? And call it uh, heart softening, 
uh, aestheticism, but rather it is shirkiyat and bid'ah and khurafat. We all together. So Al Junaid, one day he saw a man, an old man, very old. He was roaming in the market and he was begging the people. And he was saying, please give me money. He was begging. Al Junaid saw the man and then he said, إِنَّ هَذَا ضَيَّعَ اللَّهُ فِي صِغَرِهِ فَضَيَّعَهُ اللَّهُ فِي كِبَرِهِ This man walking like this, begging the people, when he was young, he forsaked Allah. He did not come with Ihfadillah. And now when he's old, look, Allah has forsaken him. Allah has abandoned him. So this is what happens. Allah takes care of you when you come in Alhamdulillah. Now we've shown Allah takes care of you, your health. Like we just took right now the example of who? Tabari, a great Imam, saying, I protect my body when I was young from haram and now that I'm old, Allah is taking care of it, right? And Al-Junaid saying, Now I'm going to show you Allah takes care of your children. When you come with Ihfadillah, Allah takes care of your children. Don't worry. Even if you die, don't worry. Allah says in the Quran, وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا This is an ayah in Surah Al-Kahf. Sah? That a lot of you read on Fridays, right? What does it say? His father, these children, their father and their mother, they were righteous people. Listen to this story. We know Musa alayhi salam and Khadir, the two of them, what did they do? Musa and Khadir, they came to the house of a family. The house was collapsing. It's about to fall. And under it was a what? Treasures. What did Musa and Khadir do? They asked to be taken as guests. They said, we're not going to take you guys as guests. Musa السلام, was upset from what they said. Lakin Khadir, who was another prophet, Khadir, what he did was, by the way, that's how you pronounce his name. Khadir, okay? Khadir, what he did was, he started to fix their houses for them and protect their treasures for them, right? Later, when Khadir told Musa why he did that, what did he say? What was the reason? Yeah? Allahu Akbar. This family, the reason why we need to protect their treasures, Allah sent down Kalimullah Musa السلام, and Khadir, two prophets, to work on this family's house. And there was no other reason except their father was a good man. Their mother was a good woman. Because of that, Allah says these children are going to be protected. So if you die and you go, because you were a good person and you came with ihfadillah, Allah will take care of your children. 
Listen to what Muhammad ibn al-Munkadir said. Muhammad ibn al-Munkadir said, Ibn Allah la yahfadu birrajuli salihi, a righteous man and a righteous woman. Allah protects for them. Waladahu, your child. Waladu waladihi, your children's children. Allah protects them. Waqariyatahu allatihu wa fiha, even the village that you're in. Allah will protect it because of you. Are we all together? Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib People dispute how to say his name. He's a tabi'iyun jaleel. He's a what? A noble tabi'i. Rather, he is the most knowledgeable tabi'i. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. The most knowledgeable tabi'i, they said. Are we all together? Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib He used to pray a lot. And he used to say, Ya Bunaya, my children, inni la'azidanna, I will increase. Fi salati, my salah. So Allah can protect you guys. I will do good deeds. I will do good things. I will do good deeds. And I hope through my good doings that Allah will take care of you guys and protect you. And then he will recite the ayah. Their father and their mother was a good people. The same thing Umar ibn Abdul Aziz said it. And many of the tabi'in. I'm going to mention this story because Ibn Raja mentioned it. Let's take this story. The story is on page 22. Yeah? But let's take this story. It's better someone reads it in English for us. Who's, who's good at reading? Re- Take the microphone here. Just read the English section. You have the PDF with you, right? Uh, yeah. Take, use, share with Muhammad. Just read the story for us in English, inshallah. The English translation is there. Listen to this story. It's on page eight, uh, 22. Just move out of the way. I'll just use that microphone, just bend it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, give him this one. Oh, amazing. Ah, fadal, fadal. Mm. Right, so Yahya ibn Ismail, page 
or you can be patient and paradise will be yours. Abu Bakr and Umar have interceded for you with Allah, mighty and magnificent, through the love your father and grandfather had of them. So I said, if it must be one of the two, I choose patience so that paradise can be mine. However, Allah is generous in his creation. Nothing is too great for him. And if he wishes to grant me both, he can. So it was said to me, Allah has granted you both and is pleased with your father and grandfather because of their love of Abu Bakr and Umar. Stand and go down. And Allah relieved her of her affliction. Allahu Akbar. One more, I read, want you to read one more of the verses of the cemetery. I'm going to need you to read one more story again. You see, just because of her father and her granddad, Allah what uplifted from her an illness that she had for how many years? Ten odd years. Now, these stories may not have any chain to it, which is the case for this one right now. But the meaning we already took from where? The meaning we took from the Quran and the Sunnah. That Allah does that subhanahu wa ta'ala and protects you because of your father, how he was. And your granddad and the fact that he was a righteous man. And your great granddad, he was a righteous man. Allah, that sprinkles into you. And Allah takes care of you. Now he mentions another story. Um, inshallah, just min babil isti'nas, just as a benefit, we take these stories because Ibn Rajah mentioned them. Even though they don't have chains for it and we can't verify its authenticity, but it's good to know this, yani, the benefit. The one in Muslim, Imam Muhammad, the next page 24. Carry on. Shaytan, Shaytan al-Rahi would tend to his flocks in the open fields. On the day of Jumu'ah, he would draw a line around them and go and pray the Friday prayer. He would return to find them in the same place that he had left them. Yani, he, would, he wouldn't put a, uh, a fence around his flocks. Yani, the shepherd... He would not put anything around his flocks. He would just 
can pull a line with his finger. He'll put a line around him and they will stay inside. They wouldn't move. And Allah will protect him for him. Again, this doesn't mean don't take the means and leave everything in chaos. But it just means how Allah protects things, right? Allah takes care of it, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah observes it for you. Naam. So this is the, the first part we finished, alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khairan abdul samad. So the first part, Allah is going to protect for you your what? Your worldly affairs. We're now going to take, Allah is going to protect your religion for you. Write this down. What is it that Allah is going to protect from, for you after your worldly affairs? Your religion. The thing that harms the religion are two things. Ibn Raja mentions it. Okay, it's page 32. The two things that harm your deen is ash-shubuhat, doubts. And the second one is ash-shahawat, desires. These are the two things that harm your religion. They will eat your religion just like a wolf that's hungry. If it was to be left in a flock of sheep, what would he do? Eat it all, right? That's the same thing that doubts and desires would do to your, to your religion. It would eat it. Write this down. Doubts are two. Disbelief and innovation. Al-kufru wal-bid'ah. When you hear the word shubha, the shubha comes from kufr, or a shubha can be bid'ah. Innovation. Okay. The second one is desires. It's two things. The desires can be two things. Al-kaba'ir. Major sins. And being consistent and continuous on the minor sins. Major sins and consistency on the minor sins. So, are we all together? Allah will protect your religion for you, means He will protect all of that from you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this one, Ibn Rajab says, is the greatest thing for Allah to protect from you. We're living at a time when a lot of people are questioning their religion. Doubts. Does God even exist? That is a shubha. It's a what? It's a doubt that's been planted in a person's heart Allah's existence is from the clearest of matters his existence questioning it is an it's an illogical absurdity the poet he said it is not befitting for the mind, it is not logically uh, correct. It's not. It doesn't make sense for you to have to prove the sun that's out. 
Someone says, I, the sun, where, where is it? I can't see it. And it's daytime. Allah's existence is more yani, clearer than that. How? Allah said, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي وَفِي Your existence is a proof of Allah Taala's existence. And everything around you. So doubts and people losing their religious identity is it's, it's becoming common, right? But listen to this, brothers and sisters. A lot of people, they don't go to doubts first. They start with desires. They like the sins. They want the sin. They want to do wrong things that Allah prohibited. And because that is the case, they step towards questioning Allah Taala. But if you really investigate, that's why I say to a lot of people who have discussions and dialogues with people regarding the religion of Islam, and if you investigate, you would actually find out it started with desires. It starts with desires and then it moves on to doubts. That's what Allah says to us in the Quran. Ya amanu la khutuwat. What does khutuwat mean? Huh? The steps of shaitan. Shaitan has khutuwat. Shaitan has steps. Do you think shaitan would just come to someone and say, disbelieve in Allah? Not always the case. He will start off small. He will make you leave the sunan first. The recommended things. Once you leave the recommended, he succeeds in that. He wins. Now first he starts with busy you with the, the permissible things. Talking to your friends and your family members is permissible. But he indulges you into that and makes you preoccupied with that. And socializing and talking to people too much. So then you don't do all the other good things that you could do. If he succeeds in that, he moves on to the next, which is he pushes you away from the recommended things. Once he succeeds in that, he pushes you to leave and stay away from the obligatory things that you should be doing. Once he succeeds in that, he goes, he goes forward. He won't stop until he throws you into what? destruction. So if you see yourself consistent on the minor sins, you're a stepping stone far from what? Falling into the major. And once you fall into the major, you're not too far off to go into what? Shubuhat, doubts. And then there it is. You're now in a state of confusion. You're in a state of what? Confusion. And that's why brothers, we come with all of these measures in order to take care of ourselves. The Prophet whenever he would leave, his family, his loved ones, his companions, he would say to them, I leave you all for Allah to protect your religion for you. The first thing he would say is what? Allah to protect your what? Your religion. The other day I read the Kitab Shu'ab al-Iman by Imam al-Bayhaqi. 
And Imam al-Bayhaqi, listen to this, wallahi, when I read this, it really it shocked me. I was shocked. Sufyan al-Thawri said, Nabilah Yusuf alayhi salam, remember when he was found? What I mean found was, his brothers identified who he was. They found out this is their brother, he's still alive. Yusuf is what? He's still alive. When they found out that Yusuf was alive, what did Yusuf say to them? He said, take my clothes and take it to who? My father, Yaqub. And throw it in his face, his eyesight will come back. You all know the story, right? So he took the t-shirt, or he took the khamis, and then he went with it. He threw it in the face of Yaqub alayhi salam, and his eyesight came back, right? Then they said to him, your son Yusuf is alive. The first question Yaqub asked was, Sufyan al-Thawri saying, the first question he asked was, How is his religion? How is Yusuf's religion? They said, He's upon the deen, he's strong on the religion. He said, Now the blessing is complete. Yeah, me, having Yusuf is a blessing that I got my son back. But on top of that, knowing today that Yusuf is holding on to his deen, now the ni'mah is complete. What would our question be? Did he get a degree? Has he got a job? What kind of company is he working at? Is he the head of, is he a CEO of a particular company? That's our concern. Allah says in the Quran, Am kuntum shuhada id hadara Ya'qub al mawtu id qala li banihi ma ta'buduna min ba'di. He's dying. Ya'qub is about to die. He's leaving his dunya. He asks his children, What are you going to worship after me? The first thing they said to him was, Qalu na'budu ilahaka wa ilaha abaika Ibrahima wa Ismail wa Ishaqa ilaha wahidan wa nahnu lahu muslimun. We're going to die worshipping Allah alone and not associating partners with him, the religion of your father and your forefather. That was it. That's all he wanted. So it meant a big, something very big to them, brothers, that religion is preserved in your legacy and your children. And that it still carries on and it doesn't die out. It's very important. And the Prophet والسلام, that's why he said to Abdullah ibn Abbas, that is why the Prophet advised him. The Prophet did not dismiss Ibn Abbas even though he was young. He spoke to him like a big individual. Gave him a real heart-to-heart conversation. And he spoke to him. Look at Yusuf When he came with Ihfadillaha, what did Allah do? Allah protected his religion for him, right? When the woman came and she presented herself to Yusuf and it's very tempting. This woman was not just a woman. They said that she was extremely good looking. She was from a, يعني, the wife of the Aziz, right? So she has a position. Wealth, money comes with it. Yani recognition. You'll be known. And it's only him and her. She calls him. 
And then what did he say to her? Qala ma'adallah. No. Look what Allah said after that. Allah said, كَذَلِكَ لِنَصْرِفَ عَنْهُ السُّوءَ وَالْفَحْشَاءَ Why? إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُخْلَصِينَ Yusuf was a person who came with إِحْفَظِلَّا Allah is going to protect his religion for him. صح? Yusuf was what? إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا Why does the ayah say مُخْلَصِينَ and not مُخْلِصِينَ Why مُخْلَصِينَ is there a difference between mukhlas and mukhlis? Yeah. Is there a difference between the two? There is a difference. We've normally taken that the definition of ikhlas means what? Ikhlasuna lillahi saffil qalba min iradatin siwahu fahdhar ya fatin. What does it mean like in mukhlas? Mukhlis we know, like in what does a mukhlas mean? Anyone know? Hey. He was chosen. Hey. What? Who has another view? I just want to say a benefit here. When Shaitan promised and made a promise to Allah that He will misguide everyone, this is our biggest enemy, brothers and sisters. He made a promise that He's going to misguide us all. Every single one of them, I'm going to misguide them. In another ayah, he said, Why does that mean? He made a promise. He's making big promises. The one he's talking to like this is Allah. I promise you, Allah, I'm going to do all of this to them. But there's a group of people, Shaitan said, You know what? Those people I won't be able to. Yusuf came with the quality that shaitan cannot get to him. Another benefit I'm going to show you guys. We have two enemies that work against us. One is shaitan and one is our self, our nafs, correct? The Quran talks about the nafs in three ways. Sah? Does, everyone, does anyone here know the three types of nafs? There's three types of nafs that are mentioned in the Quran. The first one is called what? Nafsul lawama. La uqsimu bi yawm al-qiyamah. Wa la uqsimu bin nafsil. The nafs that keeps blaming itself. It is the nafs that wants to, it regrets it. It does a mistake and it says, why did I do it? I shouldn't have done it. And it goes and repents and then falls into it again. The second nafs that the Quran talks about is what? Nafsul mutma'inna. Surah Al-Fajr. Ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutma'inna. The third type of nafs is which one? Wa ma'ubarri'u nafsi inna nafsa al-ammaratun. Bissu. Where is that one mentioned? Surah to? Yusuf. The one that talks about the nafs that commands you the evil is mentioned in Surah to Yusuf. Are we all together? 
And the biggest two enemies that you have that generally work against you is number one, your nafs, which loves to beautify things for you, and shaitan. Am I making sense here? We, all do, we already know Yusuf overcame the, the يعني, shaitan to be able to infiltrate him. What about the nafs? Some of the scholars, they extracted from this. وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي إِنَّ النَّفْسَ الْأَمَّارَةٌ بِالسُّوءٌ That Yusuf السلام, what he did is exactly directly proportional, opposite to what this ayah is prohibiting. If you want to know the nafs that calls you to evil, what it doesn't, what it, what it doesn't do is in Surah to Yusuf. Are we all together? Yusuf السلام, was what? Was a person who controlled his nafs and protected himself from shaitan. And that's why, brothers, I'm saying this to you. Allah will take care of you at times when it's so hard, your deen, everything. Allah will take care of you. يَحُولُ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَقَلْبِهِ You and your nafs, Allah will get in between it. That the nafs cannot do anything at once. It's taken care of, don't worry. حَتَّى كُنْتُ سَمْعَهُ الَّذِي يَسْمَعُ بِهِ your hearing will, take care, will be taken care of. Your eyesight, Allah will only make you see that which is good. Your ears, Allah will take care of it. You reach a level that when you ask Allah, Allah will do it. That when you ask, Allah will give you. When you ask Allah to protect you from something, you'll be done. The Prophet told us in a hadith, there are some creation that if they swear by Allah, لو أقسم على الله that if they swear by Allah, Allah will do it for them. If they say, Allah, wallahi, this is going to happen. Allah will say, yes, it's going to happen. There are creation who reach that level. If he swears by Allah and says, wallahi, this is going to happen. La the word la means obedient. Allah will be obedient to doing this for the slave. That's a level. It's a high level that a person reaches. Again, it all comes from someone who has truly controlled himself. I have a kitab that I managed over the years to read it all. It is called Sira Alam in Nubala by Al Imam Dhahabi. I started from the first page to the last. Ample times. And I read biography of great people. The Prophet والسلام, and Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and noble people. And then the Tabi'een and then the Huda Duja. I saw profound individuals and I went through it and I see all names and names. And I can say one thing to you, brothers. I swear by the Lord who permitted swearing by him. I realize all of those imams that are in those, that book, in every single page, the thing that they all had in common was they all had control over their nafs. And I'm talking about the noble ones from amongst them. Of course, <laughs> there he mentions evil people in there as well. But I'm talking about the righteous ones that he's mentioned. They all have control over their nafs. They make their nafs do what it should be doing. And not their nafs controlling them. And if you succeed in that, you will truly reach a level.
Only Allah Taala. Only Allah Taala knows. So we did Ihfadillah Yahfadka. Then we're gonna go to Ihfadillaha Tajithu Amamak. Safeguard. So now he's gonna expand on the same thing that we expanded on. Ihfadillaha. Protect Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. Safeguard the boundaries and the commandments of Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. You will find him subhanahu wa ta'ala amamak. You will find Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. In, in doing for you what you need. Remember, rem- anyone whose private affairs and his public affairs is the same, they've come with a level known as Adil. Inna Allah ya'muru bil Adil. And Adil means what? The scholars they say Adil means justice. And justice means your private and your public affairs is the same. What the people see you outside is what you are behind closed doors. The righteousness. You know what's higher than higher? That what you are behind closed doors is greater than what people see from you in public. But rather we're the opposite. What we are in public is better than what we are privately. Allah is going to be with you, subhanahu wa ta'ala, in your life. And that's what you realize, brothers. You could have everything in this dunya. It's the heart that's given contentment. It's the heart. And if Allah gives you that, all things can be working against you. Just that heart, if it's Relaxed and Allah gives it comfort and tranquility, you're going to gain a lot of things. Nabilai Musa and Harun, when they became scared because of the magicians, and the magicians were right in front of them. This was this Pharaoh, his magicians came from everywhere. And what they threw and they did to the people's eyes. It was moving everything, the whole entire place was taken. Allah says, Musa became scared and terrified of what he saw. Come on. This is not this is big magic. Fir'aun, it took him a year or something to gather all these magicians. And they've this is the elite magicians. But what was the statement of Allah Ta'ala that he said to Nabilah Musa and Harun, who were on the side of the believers? Imagine, brothers, two things. The overwhelming majority of people are against you. That's number one. That's already defeat that you feel. That's one. On top of that, look what he saw with his eyes. Musa became scared and Harun, his brother, they both got scared. Allah said to them, Innani ma'akuma asma'u wa'ara. I am what? I am with you. And every, anyone who Allah is with, Allah will take care of them, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The believers they receive from, وَهُوَ مَعَكُمْ وَهُوَ مَعَكُمْ أَيْنَ مَا كُنْتُمْ You have Allah, tabarak wa ta'ala, with you. 
We'll carry on after the salah, inshallah ta'ala. Anyone who wants to do wudu can do it, inshallah ta'ala. Again, quick reminder, social distancing. Please keep your distances and don't be close to each other. Barakallahu feekum. And also don't forget to wear your, your, your masks all through your stay in the masjid, inshallah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum. At the time when you're enjoying yourself and you have two things, by the way, ease comes from two things, health and time. Know Allah Taala when you have time and you have health. And when you lose that, you no longer have health. You've lost the ability to benefit from your time because it's preoccupied and you've got busy responsibilities here or there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of you. When you lose your wealth, and you, Allah will take care of you. He will know you subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the times of ease when people forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why some of the scholars, they used to say, Al-Mu'asaratu Hirman. What does that mean? When you have something, you don't know its value. The night when it's pitch dark, it's pitch dark outside. That is when the people realize the value of the moon. Especially if you live in places where there's no street lights and you depend on the, uh, the moon as a source of light, you realize what the moon does for you when it's not there. So we don't understand a lot of things that we have until it's taken away from us. When it's taken from us, we wake up and we say, wow. You don't realize the value of your air conditioner in your car until it stops working on a sunny day. And etc. You realize the value of health when health is taken from you. You realize the value of wealth when wealth is taken from you. You realize the value of time when time is taken from you and you're preoccupied. And you remember the days you used to have free time where you could do what you wanted. I ask you guys a question. Why did the Prophet say, the hadith of Abi Barzat al-Aslami, Another And if you look at the things that the Prophet mentioned, ponder with me, inshallah. Four things. Until you answer them, you will not move from your position. In there, the Prophet said, Your time, the way you spent it, you'll be asked about it. And then again it says, وَعَنْ شَبَابِهِ فِيمَا And how he spent his youth. Isn't that part, is that not part of time? How you spent your time, right? Why does the hadith mention again youth? Yeah? Are all together, do you guys all understand the answer, question? Do you guys all understand the question? It's because... Even that the time is very valuable, 
the value of when you are a youth is doubled. It's not an ordinary time. It's specifically mentioned. Just like when Allah said, مَنْ كَانَ عَدُوًّا لِلَّهِ Anyone who's an enemy of Allah. وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ and his angels. وَجِبْرِيلَ وَمِكَالَ Jibreel and Mikael are from the angels. Allah specifically mentioned them because they're not like the rest of the angels. They're the superior high ones. Are we all together, brothers? They were taken out of the angels. The reason why Marhalatul Shabab is a Marhala Dhabiya, it's the most valuable time in your life. Why? Because نِعْمَتَانِ مَغْبُونٌ فِيهِمَا كَثِيرٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ الصِّحَةُ وَالْفَرَاخِ Health and free time. Think about it. You, who do you find who has the most free time? The youths. Who has a lot of health? The youths. Those two combine in the youth and if the youth realizes that and uses it in good he's from the the seven Allah is going to give a shade the day when there is no shade from the seven is what a youth who grew up in the obedience of Allah why because it is really hard for someone who has health and free time to utilize it in good. Very hard. Why? It's ease. Ease and joy and happy. Generally, people don't utilize those moments in good. They use those moments in disobedience. Are we all together? The Prophet told us in a hadith, Inna Allaha ya'jabu. Imagine this, Allah is fascinated. With what? Shabun a youth, laysa lahu sabwa. A youth who is very conscious and is dedicated and hardworking, it fascinates Allah. Are you all brothers with me? Because it's not easy for people to benefit from that time. Allah says in the Quran, Have we not given you a time? Allah says, Have I not given you a life for you to live? And then the warner came to you. Some of the Mufassirin, they say, The warner that came to you is the white. When one white hair comes out, That's the warner. It's telling you, Hey, listen. One white hair when it comes out. Don't start making excuses and saying it's distress, hardship. It's not stress, it's just your aging. And your time is coming to an end. And you're going to leave this world very, very soon. So ask yourself, have you utilized your health in that which is, gets you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He loves a person who established the obligation and then on top of that is doing the voluntary. He loves it. It pleases him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
ولا يزال عبدي يتقرب إلي بالنوافل حتى أحبه. يعني you've done the واجبات. And then on top of that, you're doing voluntary things. Allah loves it. حتى كنت سمعه الذي يسمع به وبصره الذي يبصر به ورجله التي يمشي بها. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of your hearing, your seeing, your movements, everything. Establish the wajibat and come with the voluntary. Times of ease. Times you're enjoying yourself. This dunya that you're in, brothers and sisters, if you eat a nice meal and if you eat a dry bread, they both fill you up. If you eat a dry bread with water, and if you have the best cuisine, your stomach it fills with both of them. That's the reality of what? Harun al-Rashid, they said, Harun al-Rashid, he was one of the supreme Muslim leaders, the Dawla Abbasiyya, pinnacle, strength. They used to say Harun al-Rashid would speak to the clouds. He could talk to the clouds like, he would say to the cloud, Amtiri hunaka o hunalik, rain over there or over there. I will receive the outcome of that. Yani, wherever that rain drops, it's either going to drop in the lands of the disbelievers and they're going to pay jizya, or it's going to rain in the land of the believers and they're going to give me zakat. Which all comes back to the Bayt al Muslimin. Harun al-Rashid, one time he was asked, if your whole entire kingdom was requested from you for a cup of water because you're dying, you need that water, would you give your kingdom all of it for it? Just for a cup of water you could drink or else you're going to die out of thirst, dehydration. Harun al-Rashid said, I would. Who wouldn't? And the man said to Harun al-Rashid, Tabban li dunya, ama tabban li mulkin, destruction be to a kingdom that doesn't even worth a cup of water. It's not even worth a cup of water. They said when he when he was on his deathbed, he said, Harun al-Rashid, and he crying on his deathbed, he said, and today my strength is gone, my kingdom is gone, everything is gone, I have nothing. And everybody who dies, however rich he is and however wealthy he is and however much he thinks he has, when we go into the graves, we're all the same. No one looks different from anybody else. White shroud is white shroud. The poor is going to have that white shroud and the what? Samak ibn Harbin, he said, لا يغرنك سكون القبور Do not let it deceive you, the calmness of the graves from the top. Like when you stand on top of a grave, and you look, up, look at it all from outside, it looks calm, looks the same. He said, do not let it deceive you for how it looks out from outside. فَمَا تَفَاوُتَهُمْ The difference between underneath what's happening is very, very much. Some people, it's a hufrah bin hufar in nar. Some people, it's a bit ditch from the ditches of the hellfire. Sah? 
from a pit, from the pits of the hellfire. And another group of people, it is a rawda min riyad al-jannah, a garden from the gardens of Jannah. Ta'arraf ila Allahi firrakha. Know Allah tabarak wa ta'ala now. Allah will take care of you later. When Allah saved Yunus ibn Matta from the stomach of the whale, why did Allah save him at that time of hardship? At the times of ease, Yunus used to do tasbih. Allah is saying, if he wasn't from those who used to do tasbih, we would not have saved him from the stomach of the, 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 the hurt, the whale. Ta'arraf ila Allahi firraqa. Know Allah at the times of ease. Allah will take care of you at the times of hardship. That's what the hadith says. Lakin, if you forgot Allah tabarak wa ta'ala at the times of ease, what would be said to you is, Now, like Fir'aun, he wants to remember Allah tabarak wa ta'ala at times of hardship, the times of heat, the times of ease, he was claiming that he is the Supreme Lord. That's what he was claiming at times of ease. Now that he has seen the reality, he wants to repent and recant what he said. Allah said, Alif Ristifham. He's been questioned, he's interrogated. Now, you sinned and you disobeyed Allah before. What were you doing at times of ease? What we will do, Allah is telling him now, We will save your body for people to take a lesson from you. The ulama, they mention, the reason why Allah made Fir'aun's body actually remain was that the way that Fir'aun terrorized the people. Allah is in the Quran, He terrorized them and made them believe he's a supreme lord. So Allah wanted to show him, is this the man who is claiming that he's a supreme lord? Look at his body. His body was tossed on the side of the ocean. So people could take a lesson from, where is the man who claimed that he's the supreme lord? He is everything. So if you forget Allah at the times of ease, don't expect the times of hardship for him to be there. Brothers and sisters, the poet he said about the righteous people that how they remember at the times of ease, they remember every hardship that's going to come their way. They would even as, go as far as role playing the inevitable. The poet he said, they would dig a grave in their houses and they would sleep inside it. And they would lie there and they would say, Qala Rabbi fima tarakt. Now, Wallah, allow me to come back to the dunya so I can do righteous actions. And because they are alive and they're not dead and it's all a role play, they know that they've been given another chance. So they get out of the grave, they clean the dust off themselves, and then they say to themselves, you've been given a second chance. If you're telling the truth, work hard. 
That's what the poet is saying. يُمَثِّلُوا They play that, they play, uh, rehearse this. That when it comes, لَمْ تَرُعْهُ It doesn't terrorize. That when death really comes, they've been playing this so many days and so many times in their houses that when death really comes, it won't shock them. Why? They're ready for it. That's how you. That's why the poet he said, "وَكَيْفَ تَنَامُ الْعَيْنُ وَهِيَ قَرِيرَةٌ وَلَمْ تَدْرِ فِي أَيِّ الْمَحَلِّينِ يَمْزِلُ." How can someone's eyes go to sleep at night? It doesn't really know where it's going to be. Jannah aminar. How do you go to sleep? So, remembering Allah Taala at times of ease, you'll be taken care of. Hard times of hardship. Taking care of Allah Taala. At ease means also when you are by yourself. As Allah said in the Quran, talking about the people who when they're behind closed doors, they're a certain way, but when they're in the public, in front of other people, they're different. Allah says, يَسْتَغْفُونَ مِنَ nas." They're scared of the people. But when it comes to Allah they're not. They make Allah here the most filthiest of words that come out of their mouth. Vulgar words. The Prophet told us وسلم, in a hadith, Imam al-Tabarani narrated in his mu'jam. The Prophet told us there's a group of people. The Prophet told us they will come with righteous deeds the day of judgment. Allah is going to nullify all their righteous deeds. So the Sahabas were taken back by this and they said, Ya Rasulullah, are these people not Muslims? The Prophet said, Bala, they are Muslims, these people. Whose righteous deeds will be brought and nullified all of them. Yes, they are Muslims. Okay. But the Prophet went on to say, يُصَلُّونَ بِاللَّيْلِ They pray at night. وَيَصُومُونَ بِالنَّهَارِ And daytime they even fast. Some of the riwayat says, وَلَهُمْ حَظُّ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ They have a good portion of the night. Because why are the Sahabas saying, are these people believers? Because the Sahabas know in the Quran, Allah says, وَقَدِمْنَا إِلَىٰ مَا عَمِلُوا مِنْ عَمَلٍ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ هَبَاءً مَنْثُورًا It's talking about the disbelievers. And the believers, Allah says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ نَتَقَبَّلُ عَنْهُمْ أَحْسَنَ مَا عَمِلُوا وَنَتَجَاوَزُ عَنْ سَيِّئَاتٍ فِي أَصْحَابِ الْجَنَّةِ وَعَدَ الصِّدْقِ الَّذِي كَانُ يُعَدُونَ The believers, Allah tells us that he accepts their righteous deeds. So if they're believers, Allah told us in the Quran that he accepts their good deeds. Why are these people's deeds being nullified? Why is it Zero, zilch, nothing. Like they've never done it. The Prophet said, alayhi salatu wassalam, he said, يُصَلُّونَ وَيَصُومُونَ وَلَهُمُ الْحَظُّ مِنَ اللَّيْنِ وَلَكِنَّهُمْ إِذَا خَلَوْا بِمَحَارِمِ اللَّهِ انْتَهَكُوهَا This is the problem. But when they are behind closed doors and they're by themselves, whatever sin that comes to their mind and their hearts, there's no holding back. They will do it. Yeah? 
ولكنهم إذا خلوا if they are by themselves they do what they whatever evil they can think of you know the greatest people the greatest highest level is the ones who are the best behind closed doors not even public in public you think oh they're just normal people but when they they're behind closed doors and they're by themselves they are even more stronger Then the hadith says, إِذَا سَأَلْتَ فَاسْأَلِ اللَّهِ If you ask, ask Allah wa ta'ala. The Prophet told us, سَلُوا اللَّهَ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ Ask Allah. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ أَنْ يُسْأَلُ Allah loves it when people ask him. وَبُنَيَّ آدَمَ The children of Adam يَغْبَبُ حِينَ يُسْأَلُوا The children of Adam, if you ask them, they don't like you. They start getting angry with you. And Allah ta'ala, the opposite. When you ask of him, he loves you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The more you ask him, the more he loves you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says in the Quran, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِي إِذَا دَعَانْ فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُوا لِي وَلِيُؤْمِنُوا بِي لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْشُدُونَ وَلِذَلِكَ some of the salaf, رِضْوَانُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ مَجْبَعِينَ May Allah allow us to reach this level. They were so powerful when it came to the issue, إِذَا سَأَلْتَ that even if they were on their riding beasts and their stick fell off, their stick fell off their hand, and it was on the floor and someone was right next to it, they wouldn't say, get it for me. They wouldn't say, can you get this stick for me? They'll go down themselves and get it. Only ask Allah. That's all they ask. ولذلك ابن القيم رحمه الله he mentioned in his kitab that he became sick he became very ill and he said I was in Mecca I became very sick he said I never went to any doctor I never went asked for anybody help what I did was he said I read on myself seven times Surah Al-Fatiha and he said what I saw the effects that I saw on myself and my body profound. It was something else. And he said, anybody who would come to me, I would prescribe Surah Al-Fatiha for them. The Prophet told us in a hadith Al-Qudusi, لو أن أولكم وآخركم وإنسكم وجنكم قاموا في صعيد واحد فسألوني فأعطيت كل واحد منهم مسألة. If every single person, from the first of the creation to the last, all of us were standing on an open ground, one time, one second, we all raised our hands, and Allah gave us all. By the way, He can hear each and every one of us what we're saying. Imagine from the first to the last. One time, we raised our hands, we asked Allah, one time, two people's voices will not mix up from him. He, will, he knows it before you say it. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. If he gave to you all of those people, what they wanted, Allah is saying, what I have in my treasures, that will not reduce it. Just like a needle, if it's put into the ocean, taken out, what goes with it? Nothing, right? 
Allah Taala's treasures are endless. Asking Allah Taala is the best thing that you have. You only really have Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. If you become close to Him, I promise you, you don't need anyone. Allah will enslave people for you. There was a great Imam by the name of Muhammad Abdul Baqi. I just read his story a few years back. And then recently, I just came across it again. This story always, I, when I hear this story, it always shocks me. Muhammad Abdul Baqi, rahimahullah, he said he went to seek knowledge. So he went to go and he came to the city of Mecca. So he wanted to go to Mecca and go and do seeking knowledge. On the way, to his traveling, he came across in the city he was in a man who is walking and screaming and saying, I have lost a Porsche, a purse or a blue Porsche that I had inside it, uh, some, some valuable stuff. Muhammad Abdul Baqi, he said, I found it. I, received, and I have it. But this man is saying, has anyone seen it? Has anyone seen it? So he said to him, I have it, it's in my possession, I'll give it to you, but I want you to tell me what's in it. Because the, the Imam, he's already checked it and he knows what's inside it. So he told him exactly what was in it. The, he gave him the belonging. The man said, I made a promise, anyone who brings it to me, I'm going to give them 200,000 dinar. That's equivalent today, maybe a million dollars. Maybe just, just over a million dollars. Dinar is gold. Muhammad Adibaki said, I don't want to, I'm a student of knowledge, I'm traveling, I'm seeking knowledge. I don't want to keep your money, but this is yours. Man said, no, I insist. He said, no, I don't want it. It's your belongings. I found it for you. There's no charge. Just take it. It's yours. At that time, the imam is starving. He's hungry. He has nothing to eat. He said, I carried on to seek my knowledge. I stopped out over a village. When I came to the village, I entered. The people of the village, they told me, And so, so I came to a village, he said. He took a boat, his boat, boat broke down and came to a village. They, the people on the boat, all of them died. He only survived from it. They, he, they, the people took him in, they cleaned him, they gave him clothes, they took care of him. And then they said, what's your reason why you were traveling? He said, I was traveling to seek knowledge. They said, do you know the deen? He said, yes, I do. He said, he said, do you know Qur'an? He goes, yeah, I do know the Qur'an. They said, can you lead the salah for us? He read the, he led, so he started to lead the salah for them. One day, there was a, a piece of paper on the ground. He picked it up and he started reading it. They saw him. They said, you can even, even, you can even read. Come, teach our, our people. Let them learn from you. 
started to teach the people. He still has a mission to carry on seeking knowledge. The people of the village said, listen, we're not, let, we're not letting you go. He goes, no, I have to go and seek knowledge. They said, with one condition. You have to marry a woman from the city. And that was a way to keep the person into the city and not let him go. He said, okay, no problem. They married him off to a woman. He married her. When he married the woman, his new wife entered onto him. The first night when she came in, he saw something extraordinary from her. He saw that she, was carried, she had a necklace on her, uh, her neck. She had a necklace on. So he kept looking at the necklace. He let, in the morning, the woman, she complained to the people of the, of the village. She said, look, this man, he, the whole entire night, all he was focusing on is my necklace. The people came together and they said, listen, what's this issue? What's the problem? He said, I need to tell you something. This young lady, what's on her neck reminds me of some jewels that I, 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 uh, I saw in Mecca or, uh, from a man who wanted it, who said I, he lost his, a portion of diamonds and jewels were in there. It looks similar to that. The people of the village, they said, wait, 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 wait. Let us all come together and tell us the story again. So they all came together. He told them the story of what happened and how he found it and he gave it to the man. He didn't charge him for anything. They said to him, do you know what? This man used to make dua every night when he returned to the city, the village. That Allah marries his daughter off to that man that found his belonging for him. He used to make dua. And now here you are, you're married to his daughter. He passed away. Muhammad Abdul Baqi said, listen to this. He married his wife. She had kids for him. She passed away. The children inherited it. He lost all of his children. They died in his life. And he inherited the necklace, all of it. It became what? His inheritance. Finally, he got it without asking for it. And Allah gave it to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So, إِذَا سَأَلْتَ فَاسْأَلِ Ask, if you're going to ask, ask who? Ask Allah, tabaraka wa ta'ala. وَلِذَلِكَ Abdullah ibn Mubarak was a great imam. What was he? Abdullah ibn Mubarak was a great imam. They said he was extremely wealthy, Abdullah ibn Mubarak. Abdullah ibn Mubarak was what? He was really rich. That they said he would come to the village and he would say to the people of the village, this year I'm taking you all to Hajj. Imagine you going to Dubai and saying, everybody, I'm taking you guys Hajj. Allah Mubarak was really rich. They said one year he would go Hajj and another year he would pay for all of the Muslimin that were doing jihad and that would, their money and their bill, he would pay for it. What he did was one of his students one day he looked and he couldn't find him 
He said, Abdullah, Abdullah Mubarak said, where's Fulan ibn Fulan? They said, Fulan ibn Fulan, he's in, he's in prison behind bars. Why? Because of debt. And he couldn't pay it, so they got arrested. He said, okay. Which prison? They told him, prison is prison. He took his horse, he went, and he paid. Personally, he went. He paid for the, uh, the debt on behalf of his students, and he returned. The student came out of prison. He came back to Abdullah al-Mubarak, his halaqah. Abdullah al-Mubarak said, where have you been? He said, Sheikh, I was put behind bars. I was arrested for debt that I didn't have. And someone paid, I don't know who it is. He said, make dua for the person, may Allah reward them. That's it. And the student didn't know it was Ibn Mubarak himself. He used to say Abdullah ibn Mubarak to Ismail ibn Ulayya and all the great imams of his time. He used to say to each and every one of them, listen to me, your salary comes from me. Don't take it from anyone else. I'm going to pay you guys. Don't take your money from any other place. Great imams, their salary was taken from who's, who's giving it? Huh? Abdullah ibn Mubarak. This man... His father, Abdullah Mubarak, Mubarak al-Hamdali was a slave. His father, Abdullah Mubarak's father was a what? Slave. Who used to work for his master. You know what his master used to own? A garden. And Al-Mubarak used to walk in that garden and collect the fruits of the garden and bring it to the master. One day the master said to Al-Mubarak, get me a juicy fruit from the garden. I want to eat it. So Al-Mubarak went. He got that fruit and he gave it to who? The master. The master bit it. He said, this fruit... It's not tasty. I told you to get me a tasty. Mubarak, he, he said, Wallahi, I've worked in your garden for this many years, you know, and I've never eaten a fruit of your garden. Wallahi, I've never eaten a fruit. Barakallahu feekum. So Abdullah ibn Mubarak's father is what we were talking about. Al-Mubarak, Al-Hamdali. I said Al-Mubarak Al-Hamdali, what did he do? He never ate from the trees or the fruits or the vegetations from the garden, right? So the master, he said, you've never eaten from these trees? He said, no. Even the fruits that have fallen and that are going to go to waste, have you not just eaten it because you knew it just fell? He said, never. You've never given me permission to eat it. He realized this man is something else. And what did he do? He freed him and he married his daughter to him. He said, you can marry my daughter. Abdullah ibn Mubarak gave birth. Sorry, Mubarak gave birth to who? 
Abdullah Mubarak. That's the type of people whose children are going to be rich and righteous and sah. Because the father never ate haram and there was no haram consumption. Halal was only the means that was brought to the house. Allah protects your children through it, right? Even the wives of the Salaf, those women were different. Every day they left the house, those women, those wives, they would say to their husbands, Fear Allah and don't bring us haram. When you leave this house, just because you, because th- sometimes the father might, or the husband might leave the house and say, I have to bring food for my family and might do things that he shouldn't be doing, right? Just so he can bring them something. The wives will remind them. It doesn't matter if you come home with nothing. Make sure it's halal. What shocks me, one of the things that shocked me the most is Ibrahim when he was told to leave the desert, his family in the desert. And he looked at his wife, Hajara, and he said, I have to leave you in the desert. She said to him, Did Allah command you to leave us in the desert? He said, Yes. And then she responded and she said, That's the case. Allah will not forsake us. They were strong women. They were what? Strong. They had certainty that what is written for them and what Allah wills for them will be. The Prophet, one day he came into the house his wife told him, your daughter Fatima just came, she was looking for you. He said, okay. He went to Fatima's house. He saw Fatima and Ali sitting. The Prophet went and sat with them on the bed. Fatima on one side and Ali on one side. He said, what brought you to my house, Fatima, my daughter? She said, Ya Rasulullah, oh fa- my father. I heard that you went to the battlefield. And you brought spoils of war. I know now you have wealth in your possession. I need servants. I need slaves. So they can help me. And she showed the Prophet her hands. My dad. These are my hands. And there were slits on her hand from the work that she was doing. She said, I just want slaves to cook, clean, do the work with me. The Prophet he said, Fatima and Ali, shall I tell you both something better than what you are asking for? And the Prophet look at he, the dunya and connecting his family to the dunya. and That wasn't what he wanted. Shall I tell you something better? He said, yes. He taught, he taught them adhkar. He taught them adhkar to say. The narrator, he said, I asked 
Ali ibn Abi Talib, those adhkar that the Prophet taught you, did you ever leave it? He said, Wallahi, never. Since the day that the Prophet taught me that day, me and my wife Fatima, I've never left it. The, the narrator went back to Ali said, Ali, even the day, the battle of Nehrawan, when you were fighting with the Khawarij, and you were in it, did you forget it that day? He said, not even that day. Even that day, I never left it. Abdullah ibn Umar, his wife complained about him one day. Sorry, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As. His wife complained and she came to the Prophet. She said, Ya Rasulullah. No, she came, she complained first of all to Amr ibn As, the father of Abdullah. Her complaint was the whole entire day he's fasting and the whole night he's praying. Where's my rights? Amr ibn As became very angry. He came to the Prophet. He said, Ya Rasulullah, my boy Abdullahi, I married him off to one of the best women of Quraysh. And he spends the whole entire night praying and the whole entire day fasting and he doesn't give his wife her rights. The Prophet said, call Abdullahi for me. Abdullahi came. The Prophet said, is it true? He said, yes. The Prophet then told him to cut down on your fasting. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I can do it. The Prophet reduced his fasting to the fasting of Dawood. First, the Prophet said, Monday and Thursdays. He said, no, no, Messenger of Allah, I can do it. The Prophet said to Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, there's going to come a day when you will not be able to keep up with this fasting. So is it not better that you take it easy on yourself now? No, Mr. of Allah, I can do it. Okay. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As aged. That day came. When he was not able to fast the fasting when he was young. So the narrator said to Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, Why don't you stop now? Take the rukhsa that the Prophet gave you that day. He said, I do not want to change the way I am from how the Prophet knew me. The Prophet knew I used to fast those days. I do not want to be from the people who change their ways. I'm going to stick to my fasting. I'm going to be exactly the way he knew me, alayhi salatu salam. We're all together. One of the hardest things for any human being today, we all know that, right? All of us, is dedication, commitment, and consistency. It's one of the hardest things. We've been to different jobs, different roles, different, different things. When you look at this, it's hard. There's so much to say, brothers, regarding this hadith, and so much benefit that can be taken. But I want to conclude there, inshallah ta'ala. Anything I might have said that was wrong or incorrect is from me and shaitan, and Allah and his messenger are both free from it. Subhanakallahumma bihamdi ashadu la ilaha illallah astaghfiruka wa atubu Tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to take the journey of the hereafter.
and it's going to be Abdurrahman Nasr Saudi's book. After that, it's going to be the Battle of Badr and Uhud. Okay, two different days, and they're going to conclude with the Kitab Usul Sunnah. The whole entire theme of this Dora Ilmiya is that it's very light. Very what? Light. So if you have family members, inshallah ta'ala, who want to bring them, especially tomorrow, because it's just about the journey to the hereafter, the things that we need to come with. I ask Allah tabarak wa ta'ala, He gives us tawfiqa wa sadad, innahu waliyu dhalika wal qadiru alayh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brothers.